listening to Radio Owl's Nest. The songs of Martin Page, all day, all night, forever. So grab a cup of tea, settle down with us in the Owl's Nest. Well, I've always wanted to do this. It's been in the back of my mind for a long, long bloody time. This is a Radio Owl's Nest special about a period of my songwriting career in 1980, working with a gentleman called Eric Goulden. Now, who is he? He is Reckless Eric, the punk icon uh, on Stiff Records. Can you believe, yes, that Pagey here, with my partner Brian Fairweather, in the fine year of 1980, we got together with Eric Goulden, uh, Reckless Eric, and did six demos in a little flat in Islington for an album of his that Stiff Records thought this is the last ditch effort to make a great album with Reckless Eric and so they stuck Reckless with me and Brian uh, can you believe that? Yes it's quite strange to think about. Here are two songwriters into the me- melodic rock of America working with that great street energy of Reckless Eric but I believe it worked <laughs> somehow and I'm going to play you today six of the songs never heard ever before so this is quite a historic moment the demos we did with eric goulden yes reckless eric back at that very 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 special time of the early 80s in london when stiff records were really breaking huge across the english pop charts and all across music and we're talking about elvis costello etc graham parker and the rumor uh, all those bands that were really sort of significant at that time and of course reckless eric is an icon an icon of that period and he had a song called hold wide world which was a hit in england and i believe a hit in america as well um, but he wasn't he couldn't get arrested at this point uh, they they were very desperate what to do with him so they stuck him with us me and brian fairweather fairweather page and uh, somehow we all buckled down to try and make this uh, strange situation work and we wrote these six songs in about two weeks and we took them into stiff records to dave robinson and he said i'm into this you're going into the studio eric to record these songs and i've hidden these songs for the longest time i don't know why i've always thought there's something really quite special about these tracks um, for me there was always something really going on these songs were just done on a tiac four track Um, extremely raw just with guitars tiny bit of keyboards I'm going to tell you all about that but I thought I would play you these six songs that nobody's heard ever and I'm sure Reckless Eric's fans would love to hear this because uh, it's written about us me and Brian Fairweather working with Reckless in a uh, a book about Stiff Records a history of Stiff Records and that was a book called Be Stiff the Stiff Record Story by I think an appropriate name an author called Richard Balls if you're going to write a book called Be Stiff the stiff record company story you would want to be called richard balls wouldn't you be stiff um (laughs) you can't make this stuff up anyway it's a fascinating story of uh myself and brian fairweather working with reckless eric um and i want to play you these tracks and tell you uh, about the tracks the emotion the spirit of the time and uh remembering what we did to make these tracks now they were done as i said on a four track and these songs were transferred across from just a cassette so they're full of analog hiss and they're really really roughly mixed because these tracks were done in my 
find little tiny flat as i said nine ockenden road in islington top flat and we just had a live microphone that you usually use on the road we had one amp one guitar amp which was a fender twin reverb my bass guitar being direct injected and we had uh, eric himself uh playing a, a junior les paul so it was all guitar oriented i think we had one effects pedal which was a flanger an electric mistress i think uh, let- yes that's it's an electric mistress the only pedal we had we even put vocals through it it was the one pedal we used but also we just had a little bit of reverb from a revox two track an analog tape machine an a77 that's what we used for re- reverb that's what everybody did back in those days to get your reverb and your echo so it was just the three of us in this little flat and there's a photograph i've posted here with the show that you should really study because that photograph shows how we made these six songs i'm going to get in into this in great detail i'm going to tell you about what we were feeling at that period and tell you the history a little bit of history about eric i've been reading his biography a dysfunctional success the reckless eric manual so i'm going to go into some depth here and really give you the flavor of what it was to do these two weeks together and to take these songs actually into a professional studio where we were going to make the album and i'll tell you the tragedy of that as well it's an interesting story but these songs uh, as over the years i've realized because in those days when we wrote the songs we were just uh, young kids trying to make it all happen but if you listen really to the quality of reckless eric's eric goulden's lyrics and his perception of what he wants to say it's pretty marvelous and original there's a lyrical power going on here totally unique and also his vocals uh, which we weren't used to in those days we just thought wow can he sing yes he can sing it it takes you uh, into a different space and you have to step back to realize that he was totally totally unique and his own man now we're at five minutes uh, nearly six minutes into the show i think i need to play you some music although i could keep on talking uh, i'll tell you all the stuff uh, after the song and after the, all the songs that i can remember the attitude of these demos is what i want you to concentrate on not the uh, sound of the tracks as much as the attitude the character because something was going on and um, i shall play you this first track and it's called bring on the night bring on the night this night can disguise what the daylight can hide here in the
Oh, <laughs> the memories, the memories. London in the early 80s. It was that sound, wasn't it? And uh, it makes me realise the drum machine was the first Roland drum machine, a, a compu rhythm we were using then. Uh, on all the demos, just that little tiny little drum machine we were playing with, you had to push a red knob and it, ch it did a fill for you and then it kept a rhythm. That's all we had. And that's Brian playing an acoustic guitar. And if you look at the photograph, I didn't realise this, but he's got an acoustic guitar propped up against an electric fire in my flat which meant the acoustic guitar would melt uh, uh why did we do that but there it is the acoustic guitar playing a solo i must say here this is a song of jealousy like every breath you take when i really listen to the lyrics of uh, eric's um you get that feeling of uh, deep jealousy i have to mention here that brian on guitar did fantastic arrangements with it whenever eric came across with just an idea for a song or we had an idea for a song brian was able to find all these parts all these great guitar parts just listen to that and you'll hear that in the following demos that brian i think was instrumental in bringing eric because he was a guitarist uh, closer to the way me and brian wrote our songs rock and roll you might think a bit unusual for fairweather page although we'd come through the charlie mullen band in london as a live band and we were full of the live thing so i think uh, eric could tell that we were players and we were influenced by america as well and i have to hand it to uh, eric for opening up and letting us do our melodic thing. I mean, listen to the harmonies there. That's yes, me and Brian singing behind Eric, trying to be quite melodic. I can imagine Eric looking over his shoulder and going, here they go again, they're singing those harmonies. They're off. <laughs> but um, the demos do show a mixture of really that London punk thing and a quirky XTC thing and uh, even American kind of Bruce Springsteen thing uh, mixed with Eric's great lyrical content. Now, how did we get together? Well, our record record company jive records and the leader of jive records which is clive calder said i need you guys to break your songwriters that we've just signed and i'm going to put you with dave robinson's artist um reckless eric uh, do you know who he is we went uh we think so whole wide world and we need you to write some hits with him and stiff records were open to it so to me and brian that was a great chance to go into the first division of working with an artist that was actually signed uh, reckless to us we knew about him but we thought he's very different to us but this is a great chance so so we turned up at Stiff uh, Records offices, which were really like just a hole in the wall in London, and we met Dave Robinson. But we turned up with our Fairweather Page jackets uh, on, which said we were songwriters. It's written in the book, that book I was telling you about by Mr. Balls. And um, we had briefcases. We wanted to be professional. And he said, drop the briefcases. Reckless will never want to see you with briefcases. He won't work with you if you look like attorneys. Uh, in those briefcases, we had all our songs, all our cassettes. We were songwriters from the heart. But he said, you have to drop all that and you have to be raw and ready and rock and roll and spunky. And uh, <laughs> we said, OK, we'll do whatever it takes to have a hit and get our songs onto vinyl now mr dave robinson said be careful reckless is a recovering alcoholic keep him away from the boozers 
keep him away from all the boozers. And we thought, oh, we've got an extra job to do here. We have to be managers of Reckless Eric's Desires. Um, but we took it all on, and Reckless seemed to be, seemed to be, I think, sober through doing this uh, these demos. And he even told us, he said, let's do a good job, boys. Uh, he seemed very determined and very focused all through it all. So we thought, yes, what a man he is. And onward we went. Uh, when we met him first, I've got to say, uh, we, we, were, we were tentative, but we really liked the guy. He always wore his shades. You can see in the photograph, he's wearing dark sunglasses, and they never came off. Uh, but we thought he's a lovely bloke, a lovely bloke, lovely guy. And he said, I'll give it a shot with you boys. And I realised reading his uh, biography that he was very shy. And uh, I can sense that now. I mean, after all the years, I can sense uh, that he was shy. But I think that was really part of his charm. And he was very, very literate, uh, quietly very literate. And we knew that if we wrote songs with him, he would take the uh, original ideas away and write some pretty fantastic lyrics. I think this was the first time that Eric had ever written with other writers. So he was a brave lad. I didn't realise till later that he wasn't getting on very well with Stiff Records. But with us, with me and Brian, and we came from really a different walk of life, he um, decided to give it his, um, his best shot. I was determined, determined to do really good demos. And if you listen to Eric's chugging guitar on that Les Paul Jr., he's famous for that, and Brian and myself and our musical parts, you can tell we were really trying to make these demos sound like the real stuff, get the arrangements right. So let me play you the second song in our show today, and this is called Everything's Gonna Be Alright. So you think it's all over? With a minimum of us Even your new boyfriend knows There's nothing to discuss But you ain't too impressed with all that stuff And I just wanna see you in the rough Cause you're the one who's got the whole thing sucked Now come your face and touch your crimson blood
think it's going to be all right. I think. I think. <laughs> Lovely guitars from uh, Eric Goulden and uh, Brian Fairweather there. And I'm pretty pleased with the bass myself. And some interesting harmonic discordant chords there. I thought, God, wouldn't it be great to have XTC and uh, Reckless Eric together? I don't think Eric would have agreed with that either, but it was in our minds. I think we thought Steve Lillywhite would have been a very good producer. Probably Eric would have said, no way. But we were determined to bring in a kind of musicality around Eric's kind of raw edge i mean when he plays his uh les paul jr he has this really great chugging feel and we sort of thought let's just develop it into a, a sort of pseudo xtc oingo boingo in america kind of vibe i also thought this is a bit like sunset boulevard in la meeting essex road in islington i know it's crazy uh but that's what i thought and listen to his lyrics i mean really now yeah, you can hear the cynical humor of eric's lyrics um, i'm now listening back i think he might have been going through um some problems with his girlfriend <laughs> because um, you can hear that the first song of this song seemed to relate to... Uh, he's going through something, isn't he? But the humour and uh, the edge, the edge, the cynical uh, side of Mr Reckless Eric. You can hear it very easily there. It brings to mind that we went to Reckless's house as well, not just my flat, to do some work, I think on a two-track and get some ideas. I remember that quite well because I had a terrible migraine. I remember just as I went into his house... <laughs> I couldn't see and had a terrible headache. Um, and I remember that he, he had a girlfriend, a very tall, thin girl, and I think he said he's helping her get off of heroin. I thought, that's a big job there. It's amazing what you remember, the fragments from uh, sessions. It's bizarre. Uh, but I do know that I had a terrible, terrible migraine. Actually, I remember it was a white room, and that didn't help because when you've got migraine, anything that's bright and white. So I basically just sat there uh, with, with his dark glasses on, I think. I think I borrowed some dark glasses while Brian and he knocked about until I... I could see again and become part of humanity. The, the things we remember, crazy memories. Now, Reckless, I realised, I went to art college in Bristol. And one of my, my, my um, second professional band was in Bristol. Now, Brian and myself went to art college as well. So there is the artistic thing coming together. All musicians go to art college, it seems. They give us a government grant, and that's what we use. Um, and I, I read quite recently that Eric had a heart attack, as well as COVID, but he's still banging on i mean he was a trooper even with us um i mean to have covid and a heart attack um i think nearly around the same time it takes a, a warrior to get through kind of, that kind of stuff and eric is still touring i believe in england and america where he's got a quite a big following over here as well this man you could not keep him down now i'm six foot three and he was a smaller warrior so um you can see in the photograph that i'm stood behind brian and uh <laughs> and Eric as they sat down playing guitars because you couldn't put me in the front it was like a football team picture uh, my mate uh, below me in the flat uh, who went to art college with me the great Willie White who's a great photographer in London he asked one day can I come up and take a picture of you guys working together so that's the photograph taken by the great Willie White you really I do I really get a sense of the sound of these demos of London in that period it was the 80s just before me and my band Q Phil O'Brien we changed into a totally different creature and became uh, very involved with uh, new wave music and techno music. Uh, this was the sound of London at that time. We were always going down to uh, the pubs, the Hope and Anchor and Dingwalls in London, and most of the bands were going through this transition from really hard, tough punk into something more hybrid. So you were hearing also reggae and ska, the beat and the specials and uh, the clash, of course. And uh, so in a way, punk was becoming quite melodic. Now, with Eric, he just had this, I think... Um, 
calm, literate sense about his songs. If you listen to his albums, you can hear there's a really, really clever lad there. Now, I'll stop rambling for a while and play you the third song of our special today. And this is called Something in the Night. I mean, this is this is a great driving song. <laughs> Some of the lyrics are really great. I'm hearing them even clearer now because I'm doing a little bit of mastering on the songs as we go. And um, I'll talk to you about that after. But this is supposed to be a rip-roaring drive through into the future. Something in the night.
Now, I would have loved to have played that uh, uh, live at, uh, on, on the album we were going to do. Uh, in fact, we'd actually took these songs eventually to my drummer, Trevor Thornton, from the band Q Film. We worked it all up with Trevor, and we went to the studio, I'll tell you a bit about that, to make these tracks. And I always thought we would rock this one out. Listen to Brian's and Eric's uh, great guitar playing. Um, I think that thing in the studio would have been quite a blast to record. And some of the lyrics, I mean, come on, uh, they really... <laughs> you got to laugh, but you, but you do feel it. You, I mean, there's a line there, and anyone who's anyone is doing the twist. And a million guitars just keep on strumming. Uh, a line that always hit me even the day we were recording this. Uh, it, it was flying through the traffic and the sodium light. I regret that we didn't get a chance in the studio to cut that track. I remember rehearsing, as I said, with a, a, my drummer Trevor Thornton, and I, I asked Eric, I said, uh, you know, if we go into the studio to do this, um, can we use our drummer? And he said, yes. <laughs> He trusted us. I think it was a great mixture in the sense that he felt we were players. We knew how to play our instruments. And um, uh, so when we said we've got the drummer, perfect drummer, he said, all right, how much does he charge? No, he didn't say that. But um, we brought Trevor into the picture. I, I think we went to Trevor's house uh, at Farnham, just outside London, without Eric. And we just worked Trevor up on, on the tracks. Once we knew that Dave Robinson and Stiff Records wanted to make do these six tracks uh for an album um so also i uh, remember that remember that eric and i remember the lad actually i think we've got some photographs of him eric said i've got one guitarist that i've used in my band for a long time and i want to bring him along and we said yes how much does he cost no we didn't say that we said fine so that was going to be basically the band when we went in to cut these tracks um i'm moving along now towards when we were going to make the actual reckless eric album of these tracks so there was going to be me on bass and maybe a little bit of keyboards brian on all those guitars parts with this other chap can't remember his name a reckless uh, i think best friend on guitar and we had um trevor playing drums now this record was going to be made um at battery studios which was the studios that jive records had clive calder had so they're trying to keep it all in in house i know that clive calder was a friend of dave robinson so they were going to use the stu their studios so that all the money really in a sense could go back into the pot of the record company and they they chose a producer for Eric. I don't think, I'm pretty sure it wasn't Eric's choice or any of our choices. And that was a name called Bob Andrews. Now, he was the keyboard player, I think, an arranger and did quite a bit of production work for Stiff Records. But he was the keyboardist for Graham Parker and The Rumour, which I loved as a band. I remember going to Southampton University to see Graham Parker and The Rumour, another Graham Parker, another fine, fine lyricist. Um, uh, they were supporting Thin Lizzy. I remember seeing them. And I thought this is a, a Brinsley Sports, I think, on guitar. But they were a really great band, and I thought he was a strong songwriter. Um, and then Thin Lizzy, who I dug with Phil Lennart, they they came on after, and I didn't hear anything for about two weeks. It was so bloody loud, um, and I was stood, of course, in front of the amplifiers. And if you go and stand in front of the amplifier, the speakers with Thin Lizzy, you are going to be damaged. And I remember walking out and going, I can't hear a fucking thing. I'm deaf for the rest of my life. It took a while for me. <laughs> for my hearing to come back and maybe i was damaged from that day on that explains a lot now i'm going to play you uh, yeah, <clears throat> cough it up i've got some incense burning here i don't think eric would like that if i was if, if i said to eric can i burn some incense in the studio i think he would have left and said what are you some kind of buddhist some religious attorney I, or you're not an attorney right no you're a buddhist so uh, <clears throat> but i am burning incense today eric uh in your honor um this is a song called the long run and um i love this track uh, 
um, it's it's very unusual for Eric to do because it's really atmospheric. Um, we, I remember that we had problems with Eric on the microphone. He always sang great and we doubled him, but he never really, uh, he, he did it like a live performance. So he's coming in really close to the mic, then he's going away, then he's coming in real close, then he's going away. So uh, some of the uh, uh, verses which he's uh, singing on this song, really quiet, and they get very boomy. It's hard to uh, EQ, but you couldn't control him. You just had to get a vocal from him because he was performing live. Um, and there's some really nice uh, tricks on this track. When you hear um, uh, a break in the song, he's talking about movies and uh, film. And we actually got a camera and we clicked it. We took a photograph and we put it on the microphone to so hear you hear the click of that and also a match being struck uh, yes we were being very cinematic on this song um it always hit me brian and myself this track although uh, you know it's it's just rough here a cassette we just thought how we would develop this in the studio could be quite marvelous and also we thought that uh, eric was going into a very cinematic place with this track um yes we we could see the future production of what this could be um but I, we've always brian and myself we've always held this song to be it could have developed into something quite special so here is track four a song called the long run
Some extraordinary lyrics, I think, from Eric in that. It's an unusual song for him. A six-pack disposable dream. Um, and also there's a part that goes, Everybody and his mother is after my arse. Dose me up and put me out on laughing gas. Uh, I don't know what that means. But no, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Uh, a very cerebral and unusual track for um, uh, Eric there. Uh, of course, me and Brian, that was a bit more of our kind of thing where we were, where we were going towards. Probably for Eric listening to these songs, he say, no, nah, that's, that's not my cup of tea at all. But for me and Brian, we thought, ah, we're getting into this kind of ethereal place. And ha can you be ethereal with uh, Reckless Eric? I don't know. We were trying. Uh, one really interesting thought uh, uh, pops up to me. I can remember distinctly when we were finishing these tracks, I've still got two more to play uh, you, that one day Eric was late. He didn't turn up on time. And we were just, Brian and I were up in my flat, Nynockenden Road, Islington, North 1 at the top. And we thought, well, Eric's half an hour late. This is unusual because he'd been so disciplined. And uh, we'd sort of were looking out the kitchen window to see if he was coming down the road. And there was no sign. Then all of a sudden, he appeared across the road uh, on the corner with his guitar in his in his hand, a guitar case, and he was just stood there on the corner, about 400 feet away from us, and he was either to us going to turn into our street and walk up to our house, or he was going to go backwards towards where there was a pub. There was a pub just behind that corner, just down the road, and we thought, and we were watching him. We were like private eyes, and we thought, well, he's uh, he's late, and he's either going to come towards us uh, and work, or he's going to turn back and go to what we thought would be the pub. Well, after an amazing amount of time. He turned backwards and he went away from, up from us. So we thought, he's going to the pub. And we didn't see him for about an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And we sort of gave up and then ding dong. <laughs> we went downstairs and there was Eric, quite happy, smiling at us with his guitar. And uh, up he went three floors, uh, plugged in his guitar, and we wrote two more songs. And I'm going to play you those two songs now. And uh, Eric was uh, performing beautifully and wonderfully but I always remember that because it was like Brian and I I was putting money on it I said Brian I think he's just going to come to us and Brian was going no 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 I'll bet you a pound he turns around and Brian won the pound oh, I hate losing money anyway um let me play you uh, another wonderful track I think of our six songs we're displaying here on Radio Wells Nest the special Reckless Eric special it's a great song I think called Pretty Boys and I think this is uh, Eric looking at what was happening as well uh, beginning to happen in, in English music you had Duran Duran and Japan and all these very very pretty boys um, appearing on TV and going up the charts and I think uh, Eric uh, saw this as quite a humorous and uh, cynical thing to write about and uh, I remember that he does this vocal on the front that we uh, we laughed at, all of us, all three of us. He goes, where'd you get that haircut? And we, when he did that, we just fell around on the carpet and uh, he did as well. Um, so you'll hear him start this uh, track with that, where'd you get that haircut? Which still to this day makes me grin like a Cheshire cat. Um, great, great, great little track this. Uh, I think it had such potential. So let me play you the cynical but wonderful uh, Pretty Boys by Reckless Eric and Fairweather Page. Where'd you get that haircut? So 
Yes, my tiny flat was rocking. I'm sure people underneath me as we stamped our feet were thinking, oh my God, Reckless is in the house again. Uh, where did you get your hair cut? Yes, uh, it reminds me that period, the new romantics were coming into the picture, you know, Spandu Ballet and lots of pop artists with makeup on. Um, and I think uh, Eric, who wasn't really a pretty boy, um, he was saying, um, where did they come from and where did they get their haircuts? Um, I think we would have killed that track in the studio as well. Great, a great cynical humour again. Uh, the boy was made of it. Now, before I play you the last song, um, I'm going to jump forward to... Uh, imagine that we finished all these tracks and uh, we've gone to the record company both uh, Jive Records our company and and Stiff Records Reckless and they said go on into the studio and and make these tracks so we were on and running um, and uh, Mike Shipley the great engineer that I'd worked with on for a long time and was a Def Leppard uh, top pro Tom Dolby kind of engineer, I don't think he would have been Reckless's choice because Reckless liked things rough and ready. And here we were about to go into a huge studio in London and Wilston, a very, very plush studio with a, a tremendously, uh, uh, shall we say, uh, brilliant engineer of pop and rock, uh, Mike Shipley, lovely Australian lad, one of our great friends, with musicians like me and Brian and Trevor and his mate. And we had everything you needed. It was like, like uh, top class, uh, plush um, uh, top of the line uh, studio uh, engineer and uh, I don't think it was really Reckless's uh, uh, situation he would have loved I think he might have liked to have gone into a very small studio in the back streets of London you know even a, an 8 track or a 16 track I think it was all a bit glamorous and all very 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 professional for him so anyway uh, to jump the story forward we the day that we had to start recording we all went to Battery Studios where Ship, Mike Shipley was and we set up Trevor's drums we got my amplifier in there and uh, uh, also Brian's amplifier we met the other guitarist that was uh, Eric's friend he turned up and we were all in the studio um, sort of knocking the tracks together very rough and in came Bob Andrews the producer and we just saw him through the glass because he didn't really come out to speak to us now I, I talk about Bob Andrews with Trevor Thornton the drummer you should listen to those episodes because Bob Andrews gave Trevor my drummer hell I mean you're supposed to just sit there for four hours and get the sounds on the drums and get ready to perform these tracks reckless didn't wasn't there reckless was not around and so we were just getting the sounds together and poor trevor i think for the whole day because Re reckless didn't turn up um i think he might have turned up but he went and uh, just sat in the front foyer with the studio manager had a chat and then he left so we went all day just trying to get drum sounds and we remember that uh, bob andrews just had his feet up on the board and he was reading a newspaper and he was making no comments at all and then he would vanish to the toilets quite prominently and put his head in and um, we seemed to think that there was something going on in the toilets that made him quite happy and bright and led him straight back to reading the paper every time Trevor hit a drum uh, Bob Andrews said no not good enough and so even Trevor went home you listen you should listen to that episode with Trevor and he brought another kit in a whole new drum kit and again went through trying to get sounds on his drums and again for like nine hours I think we were all just sat in that room while Trevor hit uh, drums and Bob Andrews behind his newspaper said no 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 so nothing was done and we did think that Bob um, was more involved in going to the toilet and coming out happier 
and reading a newspaper. So nothing happened that day except for getting sounds. And Eric didn't turn up, although I do think he, he turned up and uh, thought, no, I'm not into this today. So they booked us to come back in again the following day uh, to carry on and uh, get our sounds and start to record this album. Well, Reckless didn't turn up again, although we did learn that he did turn up and speak to the studio manager, Joyce Moore, a lovely lady, and had huge conversations with her about, like, I don't really want to do this. Uh, I don't know if it was down to the songs. I think it was down to the way it was going to be done in this great glamorous studio. It may have been the songs. Uh, he may have thought, I'm not into this. I can't really tell, because we never saw Eric again. He left, and he never came back into our lives, and the whole project uh, was stopped and um, called off after two days of being in this studio just getting sounds uh, the whole project was dumped which I think was a great shame and Eric uh, vanished from our lives um, but we did uh, learn that actually Joyce told us because we were friendly with her the studio manager she said he's not happy with stiff records um, he's not ha he's a bit nervous about going in and doing it in this studio and who can blame him uh, probably if they really asked him how he wanted to record these songs he'd have probably said in the back streets of London on a, on a two track and, and not with an engineer that did Def Leppard uh, I think that he was put into a situation and he probably didn't want to work with Bob Andrews I don't know I mean, he very soon after that left Stiff Records almost immediately after doing a runner um, so <laughs> But it's lovely to know that he's still uh, going strong, even after his heart attack and COVID. Um, and he has, doesn't seem to have changed much. He's still full of that vital energy. But that's what happened. Uh, we ended up getting very, very near. I remember the day we went to the studio, early in the morning, Brian and myself, we packed all our stuff up in the car. I picked Brian up and we were very excited early to get there at, I think, 10 o'clock in the morning, like we used to do. And I remember both of us had a sip of vodka before we went in. I just can remember that, thinking how crazy those days were. And that was 11 o'clock in the morning mad um, but I think we had a little bit of vodka because we were so excited and then we just sat there all day while nothing really happened and our drummer went mad from just hitting drums with Bob Andrews vanishing to the toilet um, so it was a shame I'll get back to the last track which I thought had uh, strong potential the last track we wrote with the great reckless Eric it's a track called Jesus Saves <coughs> I think I'm speaking a London accent like he would Jesus Saves um, it's still to this day it makes me grin and uh, have a smile on my face you can't see me but I'm actually grinning um, I love this little track um, that's why I left it for the uh, very last track to play you because I think it has a great sense of humour about it and um, obviously probably wouldn't have been played on the radio <laughs> because uh, Reckless is making his point about how Jesus does save you um, so it probably would never have made it uh, on the airwaves uh, also when I heard these uh, tracks I was, I was surprised I could hear a little bit of kind of uh, Salvation Army keyboard in the background that would have been me playing um, my Casio tone little synthesizer 202 that I eventually brought across to America and played on Ghostbusters and a few of my other demos so there's a little bit of a church organ going on there Salvation Army stuff on Oxford Street and I thought yeah I didn't realize that I did play a little bit of keyboard on there um, but anyway special vibe this little track uh, let me play it to you now Reckless Eric Jesus Saves Feel my 
Well, I expect that's uh, upset a lot of my fans. Um, <laughs> offended many people. A blasphemous track. Uh, I think uh, Eric's vocal is pretty uh, spunky and amazing. And uh, some again, some uh, exceptional uh, visual lyrics, isn't there? Uh, the line, they specialise in property, they're buying it up by streets. Um, <clears throat> I think we know what he's saying there. Uh, and a key change, a key change on the end of this track. I mean, who's heard Reckless do key changes? I'm sure he has, but it's not a no big thing. Thing. We probably suggested it, and he went like, uh, "Okay, let's have a go." Uh, unlike his vocal, when the key change happens, he's got that real um, spirit, uh, uh, his own style. Uh, you could hear there in the middle eight that little um, <laughs> Salvation Army organ I'm playing. Uh, first keyboards I heard on the demos, and the and the solo by Brian, uh, very tasteful ska beat happening there in the background. We got a little bit of that ska reggae uh, thing going on. So that's uh, the demos, the six demos we did with Reckless Eric. That's a track called. Jesus saves. Please don't burn down my house. Um, no, those demos all from a cassette, so please excuse uh, the roughness about them and the tape hiss, particularly on this song. You can hear at the beginning, yes, it's analog recording and it's moved from a four track to a cassette and now down on the Pro Tools. But I didn't want to get rid of the hiss. I think hiss is quite a big part of this sound uh, of these demos. Because Reckless vanished into the night uh, when we were about to go into the studio to make this record <clears throat> and he didn't contact us at all, I think we might have reached out to him but we never heard back so it made us think like he probably bloody hated these songs he probably loathes them um, but I don't and so I wanted to play them and I've been uh, thinking about it for the longest time so it's a bit of a joy to put this little show together because also while I put this uh, show together I was able to listen to the tracks even more uh, closely because over the years you know you um, you forget and also uh, when we did the tracks I didn't see the potential uh, the potential totally of what they were and really what Eric was uh, uh, was saying because we just wanted to get the job done and and now when I listen to Eric singing um, and the way he portrays uh, the, these lyrics, um, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. So um, I'm not sure if Eric wants me to be a fan because I've never spoken to him again since those days. I went into my publisher, uh, BMG, here in L.A., and they said, oh, we know Reckless quite well. We should get you guys together. And I thought he probably would not want to get together with me. He probably wants to erase this period of his life. But um, yes, Eric, I'm a fan even more now than when I was when we wrote these songs. Uh, he's a force of nature. Um, I've been reading his biography, his own book uh, that he wrote, and I, as I said at the beginning of the show, and he is a force of nature. Uh, a strange um, and wonderful creature, I think. And uh, we only had two weeks with him, when you think about it, two weeks, uh, and so we don't really get to know somebody. But reading his book, I, I would advise you to read it if you're into that punk period. Um, he is a character. Uh, he's still on the internet with his Facebook and etc. and his blogs are very, very interesting to read. Reading his book, you know that he was very insecure. So I think he was very brave to work with Brian and myself back then in 1980. And he went through, uh, you know, tremendous depressions and, um, you know, was uh, an alcoholic. And he, uh, I think he's been sober for a very, very long, 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 long time now. So congratulations, Eric, on that. He had a lot of demons, a lot of demons to fight. We all have demons, but he had an army of demons to fight. And I think he's winning. As we're running down the show now, um, two things I want to talk about is the photo that... Uh, 
uh, that uh, I've printed here uh, with the uh, with the show, and also uh, reading Eric's book, Eric Golden, a dysfunctional success. Eric actually uh, uh, devotes three or four pages to actually working with me and Brian, and it's quite humorous and revealing. And I'm going to read you a little bit here. He says it was time to make another album. This time it was going to be different. Dave Robinson had decided that I couldn't write songs. We were going to get someone else in to do that. I'd always thought my tunes were great. Um, and then he goes on to say, um, but I wasn't having a hit singles, therefore I was a failure. I was an embarrassment to them. Dave Robinson boasted that he could sell anything to the public, even a recording of Total Silence, entitled The Wit and Wisdom of Ronald Reagan. Uh, he says a little bit later on in that uh, in this chapter, two tunesmiths have been found for me. They were a songwriting team called Fair With A Page. They had a publishing deal and they were really going places. They were called Martin Page and Brian Fairweather. Or it could have been the other way around. They they had matching American baseball jacket with Fairweather Page emblazoned on the back. They had them specially made. Yes, it's true. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. We were professionals. I think we were. Well, we were, I don't think he thought we were. Uh, they were extremely professional. He did say that. He says that. They were extremely professional. Every morning they convened round at Martin's bed sitting room just off the Essex Road and put in a hard day perfecting their craft Brian was a guitarist Martin played slap bass and he goes on to say the creative process with Fairweather Page was a real drag <laughs> it wasn't all their fault though although when I tell you that they later shot the fame by penning a number for Jefferson Starship called We Built the City on Rock and Roll you might well disagree <laughs> That's Eric for you. Uh, actually, uh, Brian said, they said that I wrote it. That means I did. It's in a book. Uh, also here he says, uh, writing with us, but pretty soon, with the drum machine switched on, slap bass licks and funky chords were flying around the room. They were trading falsetto harmonies and scat singing all the way to the bank. In between, they enthused about boss gags at the new Steely Dan album. I don't think he thinks that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> he also mentions that when they, we came to do this, uh, the, the actual recording in the studio, Battery Studios, as I mentioned, he was aware that everything was in-house and that all the money that was going to be paid uh, uh, into doing the record was going to be drained from him by using this special plush studio with top engineers and it would be back in the record company hands and he would be in even more debt and I'd, he wasn't happy about that either. It's a good read, though, uh, if you're into that kind of thing by Eric golden a dysfunctional success the story of reckless eric and now to that photo that was taken by my mate who lived downstairs in the flat of brian myself and uh, reckless uh, jamming and actually writing in my in my flat have a look at that photo because i think it's pretty fascinating i'm looking at it now and you can see there with eric he's got his dark glasses on and he's got a scarf on and his guitar cases to his right it's a very very small flat i actually slept in that room as well um and you can see he's Eric's playing that great 1955 Gibson um, Les Paul Jr. Terrific guitarist. And he's chugging. That's a nice chugging chord he's playing there. And we've got a music uh, stand-up, which I don't think Eric would really look at. <laughs> I don't think he's ever looked at a music stand. But he obviously had it in front of him, probably with his lyrics. And uh, Brian is there looking at it. Um, probably had some chords there. It was must have been cold, because Brian is wearing a jumper and again a scarf and i'm wearing a jumper behind him and a vest and i've got a very short haircut that's the day of the skinheads and the suede heads um and i'm playing at my white fender 
precision bass and i don't know where that went um i feel like i'd love to have that guitar i must i don't know where it's gone i it's not in the house anywhere and i just can't remember and every time i go into a music shop now i see a white precision bass and i just want to buy it because i just want to have that nostalgic feeling again and i'm playing with my fingers it's interesting there because uh, i played i can hear on the demos i'm playing with a pick and fingers when i'm playing with the uh fingers and i have the bass quite high up on my shoulder um interesting that i used to play it that way brian's playing his black les paul which uh he still got and i love um you can see behind me the bed that i used to sleep in so we're in a very 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 small place just in front where there's photos taken by willie white there would have been the four track the tx player and you can see on the right there the electric fire with brian <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't on, uh, with Brian's acoustic guitar propped up against it. Brian seems to be sitting on a, um, a, a road case of some kind. And if you look to the left of me playing the bass on the counter there, there's two bottles of whiskey. Can't believe that there's two bottles of whiskey there, it looks like. Not very good to have in the room where Eric was. Um, hopefully he didn't see them. Uh, but there they are. So, And behind me a picture, I don't know, I think it's the Commodores on the wall, which probably made... Um, reckless feel a, a revolting nausea but um i think and there's another picture of airplanes a bit higher to uh off of my right side of my head that would have been what my father worked on the harrier jump jet i believe because my dad worked for british aerospace and then there's a lovely picture on the door of just sunsets and islands we were dreaming that one day we would escape from this small little bed sit uh what else a carpet oh look at that carpet <laughs> oh my god how horrible um that carpet probably was there has been there since uh the 30s and uh, but it probably helped the sound in the room and probably dulled down the sound um i do remember that i was broken in in that flat one day so just beyond that door there was a was a stairway that went to the right all the way down and i blockaded that door because somebody broke in and stole loads of gear one time so i put a very like a a fortress door uh, just beyond this little wooden door um there's another bedroom beyond that where my flatmate was and they, they always keep the door locked because they didn't like to hear what we were doing uh, they probably thought there's hell going on in that other room um uh, but it does bring back the memories uh, and right to the right of reckless eric would have been a kitchen a little kitchen there so everything was forced into this small space uh, on the counter there we, where we got the whiskey if you follow on there's a picture of fair with a page looks like and a few of my medals I won from football. Um, and I, I, if you read the book, Eric can't stand football. So he probably looked at those medals and thought, my God, I'm writing with the centre half who played for Southampton. Although I think Eric did do a World Cup song with his whole wide world. So he did turn eventually to the soccer nation. And lastly, there's a white telephone I noticed next to my bed. That was because I might have got very important calls from record companies from all over the world at any time of day and night. And I had to instantly get onto the onto the old blower and say, yes, of course, send me that million-dollar check for royalties. Anyway, thank you again, Willie White, for taking that black-and-white uh, photograph from the uh, year 1980 of Reckless Eric, uh, me and Brian Fairweather uh, writing some of these songs you've just heard there um and uh my god the end of the show over an hour let's go out on the first track we played which uh, i think is one of the strongest tracks actually bring on the night let's let that uh fade into the into the distance while i just say i hope you enjoyed uh, the show i've always wanted to do this show um with these six tracks um even though they were uh, very very raw cassette demos every time i've 
found them in the box after uh, many months and years, I sort of play them and go, ah, there's something there, there's something there. And Eric was a truly original artist to work with. And although Brian and I went on to America and Los Angeles and worked with all manner of artists, uh, Eric still has a very, very important part in our career and a special place in our hearts, I think. Probably not for Eric, but for us, yes. We learnt a lot from Eric um, and uh, we gained a lot of sense of what it was going to be to actually collaborate ourselves with other people because it was quite early for us to work with uh, other artists. I hope you enjoyed the show. I had a great time playing these uh, these six songs and remembering some of those special early career moments. So look after yourselves, stay happy, be positive and keep rocking on just like Reckless Eric is. 